I'm Dominic, and this is the Geordie Guide to Happiness. Welcome to episode 28. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with the rest of the podcast. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Not for me, it's going so well. <laughs> yeah. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with the rest of the podcast team, Alex, Kath, and Chris. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi, Dom. <laughs> How are you this week? Oh, it feels very odd being on the other side of the uh, the session recording, not doing the intro. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. It's quite nice. It's quite nice. <laughs> I can sit in the half lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I've had an incredibly interesting day work, working in sound and uh, interviewing lovely people and then virtually Ooh. meeting another group of lovely people. So, yeah, rather Excellent. nice. Oh, nice. Do you want to tell us some more about that, or is it top secret? Well, <laughs> this morning's, you might find out a bit more about this morning's later on. So I'll keep that as top okay. secret. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Sounds intriguing. Mm. Mm. I'm still slightly furious, you know. Oh, why? Well, Monday was supposed to be thick snow, or Tuesday, whatever oh, it was. Yes. Mm. I want to know who to write to to complain about that. What, the lack of snow? If one thing that would, would really cheer me up this week would have been a nice thick covering of snow, even just for a couple of hours, just to kind of look out and go, oh, it's snowing, it's beautiful. But no, slush, miserable, boo. I think you need to write to Wincy Willis. Wincy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's gone completely over my head. Where did, you, okay. where did you pull that one out? Oh, goodness. Uh, yes. uh, from the 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I don't get the joke. <laughs> Sorry, she was a, she was a, she was a weather presenter on uh, regional television yeah, before see. you moved up I here see. and learned how to say heating properly from the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had a joke that that probably will have to be cut out of this edit, but uh, <laughs> um, the bin's been out more often than I have in the past year. <laughs> it does feel like that, doesn't it? <laughs> On some days. Was, it was so elegant and clever. Yeah. <laughs> Feel free to cut that out. That's good staying in. You cannot beat a good joke. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Alex? What have you been up to? It's been full on today, actually. I was just saying before we uh, hit the record button that um, yesterday I felt quite flat and... Today it's been sort of full on and I've got loads of beans and, you mm. know, there's there's nothing different in either of the two days, but it's just funny that that sort of roller coaster of up and down at the minute. So, uh, mm. yeah, I'm, uh, I'm full of beans now. Wasn't yesterday. I know it well. <laughs> Do you know, I think actually I did sort of move where I was working today as well. And I think that maybe helped. I was kind of sitting in the corner of a room all day yesterday and I moved my computer to sort of near the window um, and I think that made a difference as well. Just sitting, just sitting somewhere different. Change a scene. <laughs> I might try that. Okay, so should I introduce this week's guest interview? Yes, please. Yes. This week, I interviewed John Coburn. John Coburn is currently creative director of Seven Stories in Newcastle, and Seven Stories is the National Centre for Children's Book. And John has been in the Northeast culture and heritage scene for a long time. Actually, he worked at Tiny Wheel Museums before he was there. Uh, John has been in lots of bands in Newcastle as well and is known on the Newcastle music scene and he's just kind of a general bon viveur that everybody knows and gets on with really well. So enough of me talking here. Here's John. Hello, John. Welcome to the Geordie Guide to Happiness. How are you today? Hey, Dom. Uh, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, feeling 
pretty positive. Excellent. Well, that's that's good. That's a good start. For <laughs> listeners who don't know who you are, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm John Colburn. I live in the northeast of England, have lived here most of my life. I work for an organization called Seven Stories, which is the National Center for Children's Books, and I'm their creative director. I've been there for three years. I've worked in the cultural sector for, gosh, <laughs> 13 years, and I've worked in public libraries before then. I've, I'm, I live just in the Derwent Valley with my family. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I'm out in the, the lovely rural part of Gateshead with, with three kids and um, two kittens and a partner. Nice. I shouldn't have put the partner last, really. She should have come first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to edit that. I'm going to leave that in like that. Um, tell me about the kittens. The kittens are new. Uh, the kittens are new, yeah. So the thing when you have pets, obviously, is um, when they die, the kind of life cycle needs to continue, particularly with, yeah. you know, with our kids. They, they really love having animals in the house. So yeah. we got uh, two kittens in December, and it's just an added uh joy of zoom calls really is having two kittens around because they're in that stage where they they dig their claws into your your legs um and so you have to kind of mask it through a range of just pained expressions that yeah that that don't translate that well on a on a on a video conference no i think cats because they don't understand zoom think that you're talking to them when you're in zoom so it gets really confusing for them <laughs> yeah. But they're also yeah. dead useful if you haven't done the work you've promised to do and you're in a Zoom call and you just go, I haven't done the work, but look at this kitten. Gosh, you've, you've, you've found out my, my, my method. <laughs> no, no, no they're a definite um, welcome addition to the calls, which were, yeah, there's, I think my uh, background through the last year of lockdown has been has been pretty uncreative and drab. So actually having some colour through these two mm. mad kittens has been useful. So how are you coping with lockdown? What, what are you doing to keep yourself... Uh, uh, together and entertained yeah well i mean obviously there's a kind of number of levels there's a there's a work level there's a personal level and there's a, there's a family level so being a dad and being a partner um on a work level it's you know it's it, just like anyone else it's pretty tough um you know work with some really sort of resilient folks so we've mm-hmm. been able to kind of do the work over the last year and and do it really well being stuck in a house doing my job um mm-hmm. you know that's it's it's just totally different and it's you know I, I, again i'm going to try and think of something original to say that hasn't been said by most but <laughs> it's 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 pretty it's you have to consciously break the day to kind yeah. of leave work and arrive at work and um uh, i think you know the, the organization you know seven stories we've we've actually got a lot of great stuff that's been done over the last year that's been recognized i work through lockdown so really pleased to kind of work with staff who are just determined to make good stuff happen despite the restrictions I know on a personal level, um, just been doing loads and loads of uh, wherever possible, getting into the woods and running, running a lot. But I don't know, I've, I've got it way easier than most. And um, yeah, like I say, work work's cracking um, in, in a lot of respects, despite the challenges. It's being a dad and, you know, being, being a responsible dad, supporting home learning. I'd suggest that's probably a different challenge. Yeah, fitting that in while you're trying to kind of work it through the day is just like... It's a balance, isn't it? It's sometimes I'm not sure if I get it right. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. And, you know, you have to kind of disassociate your personal feelings about what should be going on uh, with education. And, uh, you know, I, no, I've total respect for teachers and, and schools and, mm. you know, my family are teachers and, um, you know, they're making it work. You know, hats off. Like we work with some incredible schools through lockdown who are just pulling out the stops and um, I, yeah. I don't know how they're. I don't know how they're still going, but they are. <laughs> what, what sort of projects have you been doing with schools? 
Um, so loads of digital stuff, obviously. Um, so Seven Stories is in the east end of Newcastle and particularly in the last two years. Since I've been working there, I've been working with a, you know, a bunch of staff who've really tried to kind of integrate the, the stuff that we do within, within the area we live getting out and 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 meeting local schools and local community organizations and, and and actually local families and and as much as possible just feeling like you are sort of interwoven into the lives of families i mean that's maybe a bit grandiose and ambitious but i, I think for me you know, laying down those deep roots is when the best work happens so through lockdown we've we, we actually kind of did a year of real solid relationship development with with families out in the east uh, mm-hmm. And with and with sort of service providers for children and young people out in the east, and when lockdown struck, it, we were already trusted to to do the work. To, yeah, to, and and they were really quite keen to work with us to adapt programs to be digitally delivered. So you know we're doing live sessions um, and we doing activity packs and we're doing doorstep story times. So the staff are going out and actually doing creative performance. You know, work before the the latest national lockdown. We're doing creative mm-hmm. performance in the front yards of, of families and um, and because they know you and they know the faces of the staff it's it it, it works well you're actually going out into the front of people's houses yes yeah <laughs> yeah you know i work with um staff who come from performing arts backgrounds but also like have a real smart pedagogy about how the work should happen mm-hmm. and they've been doing story performances in, in people's yards and you know kids come out and they have their story every week and for a lot of the families we've had the feedback that it's the kind of thing that they look forward to and just a kind of a bit of it's amazing bit of joy in in a week that can be fairly tough so that's continued as uh, you know as, as much as as much as we've been possibly able to support it but right now it's it's back to being behind the desk and um remote activity packs being sent out and, yeah and and live streams and stuff like that yeah have you met any famous writers? Oh, I've met loads. Yeah. What one sticks in your mind? <laughs> well, you know, because he because he knows the area so well, we, we do work a lot with David Armand, um, mm-hmm. uh, and um, he obviously has written books about the area, and he, he, he was a teacher and came from Felling, and um, he's he's a brilliant collaborator, like the best mm-hmm. kind of collaborator. You know, someone who's just he kind of wants to hear other people's ideas and produces a frightening amount of work for what you generally would sort of see as the, <laughs> the, the expected output. So yeah. we worked with David Armin on a project as part of um, the festival two years ago, and we needed him to do, I, th- I think it was like half a dozen little micro pieces, sort of little mm-hmm. two-line poems that we'd, we'd then work with young people to sort of physically turn into creative pieces that we'd install through the valley. Um, and I think within the first meeting, before we'd even properly got into it, he'd produced like 35. And he's like, I can use none of these. I can do them all again, if you like. And um, just the kind of guy he is. And I think, again, he's it's great when you work with writers, and it's usually most of them, because we're a children's book centre. They, they genuinely take seriously the ideas and creative ideas of young people. And I do too. It's a lot of the fire that keeps you sort of really energised and motivated is, is seeing what children produce um what they mm. what they come up with and we've done some incredible work with david armand and um we work with you know authors every week so mm. we um we've got an authors into schools program next week we've got valerie bloom the poet um doing mm-hmm. a session got you know sessions lined up with michael Morpurgo, you know some real big names who who kind of get what we're about but also some like emerging talent and and some maybe less known talent but in my in my mind really well established talent uh, yeah, that's that's one of the best bits about being at Seven Stories. Yeah, yeah. 
So, I mean, this relates to a question we asked uh, of a previous guest who was also running a, a complicated and large organisation, <laughs> which was, if you weren't doing your job, whose job are you most jealous of in the organisation? <laughs> Who has the most fun that you would like to have, you know? <laughs> oh, I do like my job. It's just, yeah, you've just got those, you're, you're just like two bits removed from, from, from seeing it up close with young people. Whose work am I jealous of? Oh, <laughs> I want to do bits of everyone's job, but, you know, yeah. particularly those, uh, the staff who are out delivering, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I want to be where I am, but the staff who are out delivering and, and just seeing young people and seeing them make work and having a laugh with young people and, you know, and really just, I think, the, you know, the creative active storytelling of writing, a lot of it's just really, really damn funny and, and as well as well as quite at times poignant, profound, um, mm-hmm. I think we've got teams of staff who do that in the, in our museum, you know, when we're allowed to be open. But also now, I, that's where I came from way, way back when I was doing public work in public libraries. Yeah, just seeing people, young people make work. And I think um, we see it within within Seven Stories. And, and that's the whole point of Seven Stories for me is it's about looking at all of what we have, which is our links with writers, illustrators and publishers and mm-hmm. the collection. So we have 90 years of children's books within our collection. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty passionate and always have been in my work in museums. It's like, we've got to actually make the collection work. It's got to, we've got to put it to work. Um, and it will always be useful to kind of academics and scholars being in a room, but actually that's not enough. Um, we need to actually put it to use. So, uh, taking all that and thinking that how can we create a program where young people can actually create something that means something to them and it's most fundamental mm-hmm. is, it's why I do what I do. You know, often you do hear quite tokenistic views and children creativity being sort of the lifeblood of an organization. Um, but actually for me personally, and a kind of organizational level, it's genuinely is the thing, you know, we're here to do that. So I think, uh, you know, I, I see it with my kids Yeah. and, and actually that's a good part of lockdown is being, is being kind of close to your kids and seeing the work they make. And that's the stuff yeah. that you often miss with being in the office and, you know, being out and about and traveling. Yeah, it's a joy when I can pop in and like in a session that they're doing where they're making music. And I think the creative act of making stuff, I, I get really jealous <laughs> of my kids making what, I'd, what I would consider artistic work. Um, and I don't want to kind of sound pretentious about this, but I genuinely see it as sort of an unfiltered, spontaneous act of creativity. And I think when you are... I feel that's my background. You know, I'm, I, I played music for a long time and rarely do it now, unfortunately. But uh, I think um, seeing my kids writing poems uh, and, yeah. you know, and singing songs, which are in totally on one level, completely ridiculous. <laughs> but stuff they come up with, you know, coming downstairs and hearing a chorus of, you know, my, you know, my dad is a giant poo. I think... Uh, <laughs> that's i I kind of uh it makes me laugh and i also just like the fact that they've come up with this sketch um and then and then on one level they'll you know my daughter will write a poem about a bird and 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 Mm -hmm. do it because in that moment that's what she wants to do and i think i'm their biggest fan (laughs) i'm their biggest fan and they might find that fawning fairly fairly irritating at times um um i love that stuff and that's why um Again, I, I, in 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 years from now, I hope they find it meaningful. But maybe it's the kind of thing they'll just find useless and irrelevant. But um, I always take an audio recorder out when we go walking, and I've done that since they were naught. So I've mm-hmm. I've taken a kind of a, an audio recorder. Actually, the very one that I'm using right now. And every walk I've done with them as a, a kind of a, a parent, usually on my own, uh, just to capture 
the sounds of them and to hear yeah. what it is in the world that they find interesting and ask questions about. So I've got like probably terabytes of, of data now, which is just walks. And a lot of them quite can be quite mundane. And, and actually within five minutes, they might fall asleep. And it's 45 minutes of wind and sort of buffering and, uh, <laughs> uh, and splodge. Um, but a lot of the times they'll, they'll ask questions that I just, I love the fact I've got a record of it. Like, um, you know, questions on mortality. Yeah, going into a graveyard with, with a kid and an audio recorder is the best a young child in a graveyard <laughs> and an audio recorder is the, it's it, it's endlessly inspiring that's a great idea my eldest child asked the question that i just remember always which is um we went out with a a recorder did a walk and we were talking about life and death and and she asked you know when you die do the numbers still keep going and uh you know like the idea of the years okay. do they keep the, you know the idea of years and and time does time continue yeah. after you die and i think what a way to frame it and any anyway i yeah. just i just that sort of stuff it kind of that's incredible no yeah. that's that's really showing uh, presence of mind isn't it yeah it's something i wish i'd done like you know i've got i've made notes and stuff of some of the crazy things my kids said when they were younger you know when they're kind of first learning to talk and you develop like a family language around the crazy words that your kids invent don't you as well and things acquire that name that new name forever in the house. Yeah. But I wish I'd recorded it, yeah. Well, the um, jokes, I spend a lot of my reading life reading children's books and um, <laughs> and I get to kind of find the books that really make me laugh. Um, and at the same time, you know, you can see young people grow up in your house where they're trying to make sense of comedy. And, you know, I, I, I love <laughs> comedy and like laughing is is a really important part of, for me, it's a, an important part of my life. And um Mm -hmm. uh like jokes will just live on forever and i and i'll try and capture them and I, you know should i share a joke with you should i share a joke for my children mm -hmm. <laughs> so kind of a gem within my house was was when my now six-year-old who was probably three at the time said just from nowhere what was it it was um why did why did the two-headed man in the desert no, sorry. What did the two-headed man in the desert with no head say? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and she said, I've been killed. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trick question. <laughs> and then that for me was was just beautiful. Yeah. So you know, you know, you know, kids writing and writing for kids. Uh, I can't mm. get away from. It. I don't necessarily want to get away from it. I love it, but um, mm. just the creative act and. I just really think that that you can lose it so easily. Um, yeah. And, and if you've got any opportunity to stay close to it, which is what I try and do in my personal and professional life, just, mm -hmm. you know, surround yourself with, with that. Have you got, have you got a recording of the famous song, uh, Daddy is a, a giant massive poo. poo. Massive poo. Giant no. poo, sorry. I don't think I do. No, you we, know, I, I could have, we could have used that for the jingle this week. <laughs> But not just a song, you know, like a full performance with dress, you know, full dress nice. dress performance with um with with props. <laughs> so you you mentioned music. So does playing music make you happy? Do you enjoy doing that? You said you don't get to do it as much. Hmm. Uh, have you got any plans to pick it up again? Or uh, yeah, it does make me happy. You know, listening and playing to music um, is like well, listening to music is an essential part of every day. Um, mm -hmm playing music used to be an essential part of my life um it still would be 
um, but I don't have access to easy access to a drum kit. Um, so from about the ages of 10 to 25, playing the drums was, was a major part of what I did. Um, uh, and playing in bands and, you know, going off on tour and playing in mm-hmm. pubs on a Tuesday night in Newcastle and, um, <laughs> Yeah, to kind of five people and a dog. To five people and a dog, yeah. Well, it probably it wasn't my case. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm projecting, well, sorry. No, you, you've projected correctly. But, you know, a lot of the times it'd be lots of people. But um, but but usually that happened outside of Newcastle. You know, you go to a city like Dublin and and all yeah. these people are there and you think, why? Um, but, uh, yeah. you know, playing music and playing with really talented people with ideas actually just being around people with ideas is, is just a big thing for me and um mm-hmm. and doing that through music um and just on a really visceral level just making punishing noise um was 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 a was a useful liberating thing and and actually you know i think about this as i do genuinely believe and not in a kind of a uh again not in a phony way like what what of you know, rocking up to Redka on a Wednesday night and playing to people, disinterested people at times. What, you know, what of this actually kind of carries through to the rest of your life? What, what helped you? And I think, and I, I think it genuinely does. I think, and, and I think mm-hmm. for a lot of the people that I um, work with now within the cultural sector, they would maybe say the same, which is, you know, it, you mm-hmm. kind of become a bit more resilient. You know, people yeah. who actively express disapproval immediately <laughs> on, and on, on, on quite a physical level, uh, yeah, is yeah. is is a thing that helps you uh, later in life. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, um, it's 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 totally like what you say about um, becoming resilient, really. Because if you because you you're not talking about playing pop music, are you? You're talking about playing kind of abstract, <laughs> uh, complicated, and hard to understand stuff at times, aren't you? So. Yeah, I mean, I love pop music, but that wasn't necessarily what I was playing. It was it was fairly yeah. dissonant. Um, no, I used mid- to do the same, and I used to look up, and people would have their fingers in their ears. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but and but something about that is like um, it is teaches you to be resilient because you have you've kind of worked to make something, and you believe in it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in the pub on mm. Tuesday night doing it. Mm. And just because everybody doesn't get it doesn't mm. mean that it's wrong mm. um but it also it does teach you engagement strategies in a way yeah no i i 100 percent agree and I, I i totally agree and actually the one thing that i feel is i definitely took from that and you know i'm not I, i'm not exaggerating i don't want to exaggerate any of this stuff it's it, this isn't like a successful music career this is i do you know library shifts in some far-flung mm. pit town within durham and mm. then i drive to you know, uh, leads and play a gig to 20 people. But um, mm-hmm. conviction, actually, if you're going to make the work, you know, if you're going to make this creative work, um, don't apologize for it. And, and, yeah. and, and I know that's quite hard at times to, to do because if it's particularly if you're new to it, you, you feel that there needs to be some level of acceptance. But actually in mm-hmm. time, um, doing it as, you know, making the work in a quite a disciplined way and doing it with total conviction is mm. is the best way from from my perspective to to kind of share that. Well, the gig, the, the single gig, isn't the work itself, is it? It's the collection of gigs and and the and what you learn by repeatedly doing it and how you improve by performing and and working in front of people. And like I say, it's not just about music. It's when you're delivering workshops or talks or yeah. events. It's the it's like a you're building a portfolio of work. 
Yes. And that's kind of what you should be judged by, not your not your off days or your or your good days, but the, the overall kind of picture that you're, you're painting over, over yeah. years, really, isn't it? That's right. And and I know that everyone talks about failure being a good thing, but when you fail in front of loads of people, <laughs> it hurts, you, know, if, yeah. it, you know, and I used to make, we made the mistake of trying to play the most complex music that our brains would allow, but playing it in such a way that it felt spontaneous um, mm -hmm. and it, it appeared spontaneous. But things will fall apart and, you know, and they mm -hmm. regularly fell apart. And, and actually, you know, building that into something which is part of your performance, you know, you make a mistake, mm -hmm. but rather than apologize and let it consume you, it's actually, you use it as a cue to do the next thing. I, I think it, it toughens you up, but it also, you kind of realize that actually it doesn't necessarily sabotage what you were there to do, which was to make creative work that had an impact. Definitely. Just to move on slightly from that, you, you mentioned that you go running as well. And um, I, I don't like exercise, if, I, if I'm being <laughs> honest. I've tried it. I tried it once and I, I didn't like it. But um, I'm only joking. Uh, no, please nobody get angry with me. I'm, I am genuinely only a joke. Um, I, I used to go to the gym, though, and uh, I used to quite enjoy the gym because it was like uh, adult playtime, in a way. I could kind of... It's like the closest I could get to going to the playground without looking like really like strange and scaring children. <laughs> what is it that you get out of running, John? Oh gosh, well I feel exhilarated afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's definitely that. I think it, it's only really been in the last um, six years that I've took it up seriously. I've always been pretty active. Um, playing drums is a is I didn't realize at the time, but that that kind of kept me really really fit. And because again, it was really fast and technical music uh, that you you think you're not being healthy because you you know you you you're playing late gigs and you maybe end up in the pub afterwards and and you you feel like you don't have time for sport, but actually drums kept you fit. And so when I gave that up, I, I um it took me a while to figure out you know what else to do and. When I go running, I live in a part of the world. I live in the Derwent Valley, just on the edge. Well, I live in Chotwell, Chotwell, um, and uh, it's just hills around here. So there's no easy run, uh, <laughs> uh, not at all. And um, when you start up running in, in in this part of the world, it um, it's a big test, and and it's really exposed. So when it's snowy, it's it's snowy here first, and it's the snowiest. So yeah. I, when I when I go running. Uh, you know, every fiber of your being is telling you to stop. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, the longer you, you do it, you know, the, the more that you, your body gets comfortable with it and kind of conditions mm -hmm. itself. But, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty attracted to that feeling, which is, you know, when you're doing, when you, when you kind of put yourself out there, when you're running, it, it's, something inside you is, is, is telling you this is a bad idea and you should probably yeah. go home. But actually, if you push through it just a bit, a little bit longer, you, it, you know, you, you, you get a kick out of it and you can see a part of the world and, um, yeah. that you maybe other, otherwise wouldn't. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not like a trail, I'm not like an ultra runner, but I'll do yeah. loads of half marathons around here and, um, uh, and, and they can be really hard. Uh, but I'm doing that at the minute as with the, with with as part of a community thing, which is a project we're involved with. Um, so I, I, you know, running is a pretty it's a solitary act. Um, and at the minute, through lockdown, we set up a fundraiser for a charity I'm involved with, where we're encouraging people to kind of get active and contribute their steps and miles to this target that we've set ourselves, um, which mm -hmm. would collectively take us around the world um, in 80 days. 
which is 14 wow. and a half thousand miles. So right now my, my running is, um, is also contributing to this bigger goal, which, um, yeah, I, I sort of value that. Um, and what's the charity called, John? I'm a trustee in a, in a, um, a charity called Chattel Regeneration, which is it's only three years old and it's just mm-hmm. residents led. So nobody there is paid. It's all volunteers who live in the village. Um, Chattel's a, I think like most of the Northeast really, that we're, which isn't a city, uh, was a former uh, sort of pit town mining village, mm-hmm. suffered um, through the 20th century following closures of the pits. Uh, mm-hmm. The public services and infrastructure that's here are, are kind of, they're maybe not what they should be. Um, and the charity was set up to sort of bring money into the village and and get a sense of pride back. So actually build public programs, public events, create employment opportunities, skills and training opportunities for, 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 for folks who live around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we are bottom of the league tables that you don't want to be bottom of. Um, with regards mm-hmm. health, um, training, qualifications, employment. Um, I mean, I should say that it's, uh, I, I absolutely love living in Chopwell and it's full of people that um, just get that sense of community. Um, mm-hmm. And so we've tried to set this charity up to to bring money into the village and uh, and this run, this collective sort of running, walking, you know, step counting thing that we're doing over the 80 days is to contribute to restoring a, a bank on the high street, which has been empty. Um, for quite a few years and we're going to turn it over to become a, a creative space uh, and, and a social enterprise so it's going to become a social enterprise mm-hmm. cafe and it's going to become um, we're going to lease out units to artists and businesses um, at really cheap rates so we can have people working mm-hmm. out of those spaces uh, prioritizing folks who live in the village and with anyone who uses those spaces they have to demonstrate how it, what they're doing in turn will create a chance or an opportunity for someone who lives here so if you're a business, mm-hmm. it's like what training or skills development opportunities are you providing for residents? If you're an artist, how mm-hmm. are you involving or speaking with members of, of the village? Um, yeah. And then on the on on one of the floors, there's a ground, there's a basement floor in which there's um, there's <laughs> there's four safes that we're in the process <laughs> of trying to remove, and it, it's uh, we want to turn that into like a food production hub. So businesses mm-hmm. that do growing and you know planting. Um, and food distribution, you know, food, there's a lot of food poverty charities around here just doing incredible work. Yeah. We want to work with them. Um, but we need to get the safes out. Um, but that, that costs a bit of money. Uh, yeah, there's, my yeah. studio's got, a, a, it's in an old bank and it's, there's a safe there and it. it's like my worst nightmare that I'm going to get shut in there one day. I just, <laughs> I can't hardly put my foot in it. Yeah. I love this. I, I, it's just, it makes me laugh. When we went, when I went, when I went down to that um, basement floor for the first time and saw these four safes, um, I mm. noticed that the actual security codes for each safe were like written on a post-it and blue tacked to the side of each safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing, John. Yeah, so you're kind of active in community regeneration as well, and then the running you're doing sounds purposeful, and it, by giving you know by giving yourself those targets as well and goals it sounds yeah. uh, really really useful. Yeah. Something yeah. I don't understand about running, you know, when you get pe- two people who drive like the same car and they pass each other in the street and they kind of wave at each other. Do you ever get that? Because I always just don't wave back because I just think, look, these things are mass produced. I'm not joining in and I, I ignore them. <laughs> but the runners kind of acknowledge each other like, oh, you're running too, sort of thing. Or... Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's easier when they kind of come in the opposite way and you'll do a little nod. And, you know, mm-hmm. usually there's, I don't have the lung capacity to talk, so I'll, 
I'll just like <laughs> I'll make a primal grunt sound. Um, <laughs> but it's the 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 awkward bit is when you are running in the same direction and and particularly you know I'm, I'm not um, I'm not a, an incredible runner, but you know I will often have to pass people and um, that can be quite an un- uncomfortable social encounter. Uh, and I've had brilliant. a few of those. I've had a few of those. Do you, do you get people trying to catch up with you and go faster than you and kind of overtake you? Does it get yeah. like a bit competitive in the street? Yeah, I, I try to sort of radiate vibes of like, I'm not competitive. We don't need to be racing here. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know quite how that ca- translates, but um, yeah, there's there's often a stretch um, when I come down Ebchester Bank, which is just an insane incline. Um, mm-hmm where i'll find other runners and um yeah one time one time i kind of i I came down the bank and i sort of hit the main stretch of ebchester which is like one and a half miles before i turn left at exactly the same time as another runner on the other side of the street so for a mile and a half you kind of have this feeling of you know it being a race and uh (laughs) i didn't quite appreciate it was a race until until i turned off and it was very clear this guy was trying to beat me and uh and he yeah he he screamed stuff at me (laughs) (laughs) when i uh when i turned off and you know passed through the uh, proverbial sort of the metaphorical finishing line uh yeah that's that's very few instances where that's happened but uh that's brilliant (laughs) so it does get competitive excellent that's what i wanted to hear (laughs) yeah yeah i'm not massively competitive with running i have to say yeah only with myself Yeah, well, that's that's the way to do it, isn't it? Yeah, because then, <laughs> and you keep doing it as well. Like, you know, if you do, if you're exercising for anybody but accept yourself, then it, that motivation can go quite oh, fast. Can't it. But if it's if you're competing against yourself, it's you've always got that drive to do just do a little bit better each time, haven't you? Yeah, without hopefully not becoming like too much of a Strava nerd, like analyzing every leg and every heart rate, and um, I, yeah, I feel I'm maybe that, straying Alex? into. I may be straying into that territory and I have to, I have to be like slapped about the face by my partner who just doesn't want to hear about my, um, my, uh, you know, the fact that I'd set a new record on a bank down, down the hill from here. She, 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 she warns me that I'm becoming that guy. <laughs> it's useful to have somebody to keep you in check, isn't it? Cause like, I can definitely do that with things as well, you know? Yeah. So, um, have you got any other kind of tips or advice to other people? What is it you do on a daily basis just to keep your spirits up, particularly in these dark nights? I can only speak from personal experience and I, and I hate, I do mm-hmm. struggle often to be the guy that gives advice because circumstances vary so wildly, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, everyone says it, but, but getting outside, it's, it's just massive for yeah. me, absolutely crucial. And I've been completely rubbish this week um, in, in getting outside. And, you know, sometimes you, you kind of go out, and put the bin out and 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 actually that's that's your only outdoors activity for three days unless you consciously <laughs> decide differently so yeah. i have done that this week i've been incredibly busy and um my outdoors my connection with the outdoors this week has, has been when i've been locking up the house at night is sticking my head out the window and looking at the stars for 10 seconds and feeling like the cold and and that's pretty pathetic but it, it just kind of anchors you and 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 sort of breaks mm-hmm. the day um you know i mean i've said it before but but just like being close to people who are making creative work and um, Mm -hmm. like my kids uh, and, and, and finding time to kind of fart around if, if you can. Um, I, I I just kind of overstate for me how, how kind of pottering about and just 
finding little projects and stumbling across stuff that how much I, I think that's a really important part of life. And um, mm. I'll, that's when, you know, when I go out into the woods with a recorder and um, it's usually without a purpose and, and you will find things and, you know, you will mm. you just got to put your kind of feelers out there and um, getting outside is a big thing. And, and, and obviously reading, um, I, uh, uh, reading books uh, and children's books, it might just be that it's because the time that we're in, um, I'm finding I'm reading quite emotionally charged stuff at the minute and like a, you know, reading with my kids. So what book are you reading with them at the minute? Um, uh, at the minute we, we actually read a, it's difficult to do this, but we read a wordless picture book together, um, mm-hmm. called Hike by a new writer called Pete Oswald. And it's, it's just about a dad and his child. Um, it's not actually clear whether it's a, it's a boy or a girl, which I found quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, taking the time within a busy life to go out and just spend time in the woods. I mean, it's obviously a close parallel to my life, but um, going out and just, it's a wordless picture book, which takes them through the day. Uh, and I find that, you know, I found that just a beautiful book. Um, I, uh, poems, I, mm-hmm. there's like Jackie K. Po- I made the mistake of reading a Jackie K. poem to my kids recently. I, I love her poems for, for kids. I love her poems for children. I think they're, I think they're beautiful. I think it speaks to them as like proper people who think big things, but quite often they can be, they take me back to my childhood and, you know, they can break you. <laughs> they can, um, yeah. you know, the, the kinds of poems where you kind of, you have to pause and have big gulps of air. Um, yeah. uh, but I, you know, reading with my kids, uh, reading Jackie K poems, reading that Pete Oswald book this week has been mm-hmm. It just it just wipes everything clean and and sort of takes you back into a mm-hmm. moment and uh, that's all important stuff to me. What else? I mean, I I, I love mm. making booze. <laughs> <laughs> I love making booze, and, and I love pickling and fermenting. I think I think I think you get into yeah. a habit. Um, I pickle everything. I think I don't know if it's become a problem yet, <laughs> but uh, I've got a cupboard full of like pickles and fermented foods, eggs. Onions, cabbages, carrots, beetroot, um, just the usual stuff, but then strange stuff. So what's the strangest thing you've ever pickled, John? Oh, God, this could go wrong really fast. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if it's been it's ever been that nuts. Oh, um, I'll tell you what was brilliant is um, wild garlic. If When it's wild garlic season, mm-hmm. I cannot recommend this tip enough. Um, go and pick the buds on a wild garlic plant, like not when it's growing into a plant, but actually the buds, collect them together, wash them, mm-hmm. and stick them in some pickling vinegar. Mm-hmm. Um, keep them for a few months. And then stick them on your pizzas and you make them. Really? Either before or after you've stuck it in the oven. And it's like a caper. It doesn't have the strength of uh, like wild garlic leaf, which is really, really overpowering, which I like. Mm-hmm. But it's just, ah, oh, it's glorious. Um Pickled eggs are unanimously the least popular within my family. Uh, I, I love pickled eggs. But all the more um, for you. <laughs> all the more for me. I took them to work once, and that was that was badly received. Very badly received. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things you never live down for as long as you work in a place, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like on your leaving card. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, that's it. That's it. No, I've, I've, I will be remembered for that. I hope. Uh, but um, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm circling stuff. Here. These are the things that you know. These are small things for mm. me that are yeah. uh, the, the kind of anchor points through a week, which keep you, which keep you right. Yeah, brilliant. Well, 
thanks, John. I think we should wind up there. Um, I've really appreciated your time, and uh, thank you for talk, sharing yeah. with the Geordie Guide to Happiness. Thank you very much. Cheers, Tom. So that was John. Ooh, can I start with that one, please? Go for it. Yes, please, Kath. He, what a super guy. A lovely, lovely interview. Um, but I felt affinity to this person who I've never met before, never come across before, for several different reasons. And one of them was that he enjoys walking through graveyards, <laughs> uh, which which is nice from my, I, I find that a very... Uh, satisfying and enlightening uh, activity the other the other one was that he en- enjoys audio recording so again he, you know two two brownie points for him but the third one which, which is the ultimate actually this is this put him in my five star category was that he he can't run and walk at the same time <laughs> 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 and nor can I <laughs> so that, that was my impressions of John's interview. I mean, talking of graveyards, <laughs> I used to rent a flat on St Andrew's Street in the centre of town round the back of the co-op. Um, and my bedroom overlooked St Andrew's Church graveyard. And wow. it was the best night's sleep I had living there. Because it was just, even though you were in the centre of town, it was so quiet. It was great. Uh, didn't you know? I, I wasn't sort of creeped out by it or anything. It was it was great actually having a graveyard out your back window. Uh, yeah. Mm. Anyway, that was. A... Did you ever see John out the window <laughs> <laughs> walking around <laughs> with, <Yeah>. no. <laughs> with, with his children? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there was so much in that interview, and mm. he's got such a great voice, hasn't he? Um, mm. So uh, yeah, really kind of enjoyed listening to that. Um, I, I really loved what he was talking about telling the kids telling jokes. Uh, yeah. I, I remember when my two sort of started telling jokes and they kind of get the structure, don't they? They kind of get, they, mm-hmm. they know kind of the structure of a joke, but not necessarily the content. <laughs> so it doesn't sound funny, but because they've got it so wrong, it, it's hilarious. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it makes no sense whatsoever, but it just works. So I, I love that. I could I could relate to that. And that, that possibly makes them even funnier that they don't actually mm-hmm. make any sense. Um mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, he's definitely my kindred spirit when it comes to running. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of you when he was talking about what the Strava. Yeah, yeah. You know, Strava, it never happened. I even I interrupted the interview to say, did you hear that, Alex? Yeah, I got the name <laughs> check. Thank you. <laughs> but kind of related to that as well, there was the whole, yeah, when you're talking about the sort of runner's nod, um, mm. there's, there's a VW wave as well. So when you're out in your camper van, You've always got to wave at other VW camper vans. It's the law. We used to do that in my dad's Ford Popular in 1962. That was the etiquette of the rules. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to <laughs> raise your hand to other Ford Populars. Absolutely. Which could be problematic there in the name of the car. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it was quite hard. With, it's, it's harder with sort of the, the T5s and the T6s, so the newer ones, because you, you get them as work vans as well. So yeah, some of them the... are camper vans and others are work vans. So you end up waving to, you know, painters and decorators, and you're like, oh, oops. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why they didn't wave. 
Yeah. But do, so do you wave at runners as well, Alex? Uh, no, as he said, it's kind of a bit of a nod uh, or a hello. <laughs> yeah, if you can manage a hello. Um, but yeah, it's usually just a how, how do you greet? How do you greet a roller derby person? Oh, high fives. <laughs> <laughs> Shove them out of the way. <laughs> hip, check, hip check them, yeah, and a high five. Yeah. Maybe not during a global pandemic, but uh, yeah, after games, everyone would line round, right. line up round the track, and you'd go round and you high five everyone. It was great. Excellent. Yeah. Um, but on a more serious note, I think one thing that came out of, of his interview that really struck me, and, and I think it's come up a few times as well, is is um, that word resilience, mm. um, <laughs> and the fact that at Seven Stories, like like us with this podcast, they've still been able to continue to create content during this yeah. time um and stuff that they're really sort of proud of uh, and you know he, he talked about his team and how well they were doing in that in that sense mm-hmm. and, and yeah still being able to do stuff which i think is really important mm. i yeah. love the idea of them going out to people's houses yes. I that was amazing. Yeah. oh yes yeah. that was super mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. we should come to my <laughs> <laughs> plays experimental pop music i'll do when you least expect it car <laughs> 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 I'm I'm only sorry that we never got to hear a rendition of the My Daddy is a Massive Poo. Uh, yeah. Just, that, that would have been great. I, I, I think I would have really appreciated it, I think, if if one of my kids had come come up with something like that. I mean, I might be a little bit ambivalent about the content, but I don't know, I'd, I'd feel kind of seen and validated yeah. as yeah. a human being. Well, I think it was a big deal. I think there was uh, costumes and set design and everything. Wow. Yeah. It was a three-act piece, you know. Cecil B. DeMille. Presents my daddy is a massive poo. Yeah, <laughs> but Kath, I'm, I'm like you. The, the whole kind of sound recording thing um, was interesting, yeah. and I just kind of why, why don't why don't we do more? We we walk around with cameras and we capture pictures and images. Why do why do we never kind of go around and capture capture sounds? And because yeah. they're they're just as good for remembering things mm. and remembering moments. I, I don't yeah. know why that is. Yeah. Especially now, now the technology is so easy because your your phone is an audio device or a phone, yeah, or a camera. Yeah. Well, this this is where this is where I admit to listening to Radio Three in the morning. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Don't you know? Um, I had I had to stop listening to Radio Four because it was just too depressing. Um, listening to Radio Four is bad enough. Um, but what they do in the breakfast program, quite a lot of them, is they get listeners to send in sounds that they recorded, you know, when they've been on holiday or bells that they recorded. And actually, it's really quite nice. And they layer the music over the top of it, and it's it's, it's dead good. But yeah, I think we should, we should get out there and record more and, and you know, boost our audio memories as, as much as our well, per- visual. Perhaps there's, a, perhaps there's a funder listening. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's been a few projects uh, over the years, hasn't there? But um, yeah, it doesn't seem to be as sort of widespread as you say, sort of, yeah, taking photos on your smartphone. But yeah. Mm. Mm. There is uh, the Tyneside Sounds Society mm. that uh, go out and collect uh, sounds before they disappear. Oh, that's a super idea. Love that. It's run by a guy, uh, Mike mm. McHugh. And he always explains it by saying that. Um, Everybody remembers what the guy sounded like that used to sell the Evening Chronicle at the <laughs> monument, you know, like, Chronicle! Yes. There's, there's no recording of it. It's, it's lost forever. Yeah. So he's on a mission to make sure we don't lose current sounds, you know. It. Yeah, great idea. Well done, then. Mm-hmm. Okay, is there anything else? 
Oh, there was such a lot. Yeah, there mm. was loads. Yeah. But uh, yeah, really enjoyed that one. Another little, well, it wasn't a little thing, but it struck me out of the blue was, as an adult, you can read children's books. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because I'd never thought of that. Oh, I, I do frequently. Philip Reeve is one of my favourite authors. The Mortal Engines and the Railhead, uh, Railhead books are just, yeah. just fantastic. Proper ripping yarns, you know? I've been rereading um, the Northern Lights as well, obviously inspired <gasps> by the, oh, the recent yeah. um, dramatisation. So, so, yeah, yeah, rereading them has been really good. Yeah, good point, Kath. Yeah, yeah. I often mm. read them without realising that the kids' books and think I'm doing really well. <laughs> <Aww. laughs> I'm just, just ploughing through this. <laughs> but, yeah. but actually, I went into Blackwell's, uh, I think just before lockdown, I think it was between Christmas and New Year, and um, took um, my daughter in because she had some, uh, she had a book voucher to, to spend. And actually, the range of kind of young teen um, books um, out there. They looked really exciting. I was like, oh, well, I'd fancy reading those. Well, thanks, John. Yeah. So, you, if you've been inspired by this podcast episode, then we'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with your stories and your opinions on what happiness means to you. You can get in touch via email, hello at thegeordieguidetohappiness.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Geordie Guide or Facebook, The Geordie Guide to Happiness. As always, I'd like to give a shout out to our funders. This project wouldn't be possible without the support from the Newcastle Cultural Investment Fund at the Community Foundation. So thank you so much for your support. Yay! Yay! And now I'd like to hand over to Kath to talk about (laughs) next week's episode. Thank you. Quite coincidentally, but marvellously so, I've been interviewing Chris Barnard, who's the Chief Officer at the Usburn Trust. So we're following on beautifully from John's interview. We had a wonderful wide-ranging conversation and during that you'll hear me asking questions like this. Not many places can say they've got a farm on the premises. Not at all, no. It goes back a long way, the the Usburn farm. And you've got the Stepney Stables as well, are they still there? And he'll give answers like this. They are still there, yeah. We've got the Stepney Bank stables. There's some brilliant resources in the valley. It's it's very quirky and I think that's why people love it. You know, you can you can go and sit in the in the beer garden of, of the ship inn and watch members of staff walk in the goats from the farm past the front door and then somebody's going past on a horse up to the top stables. It's it's so unusual, but it, it just puts a smile on your face. Thanks, Kath. So, we've reached the end of another episode. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the Geordie Guide to Happiness so far. Take care, and we'll see you again next week for another episode. <laughs>